Amen. Well, we're going to be in the book of Joel, Joel chapter 2. And let me um, just kind of give you a thought coming out of the book of Hebrews. Book of Hebrews has been an extremely challenging exhortation to us. I mean, there are things that the Lord says to the church in the book of Hebrews that are, um, they, they stop you in your tracks. In chapter two, verse one, we're exhorted to take earnest heed lest we drift away. In chapter three, verse 12, it says, beware lest there be an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. Evil. What's an evil thing? Well, here's one thing that's evil, not believing in a living God. Chapter three, that's chapter three, verse 12. Chapter four, verse six, six, it says, enter into the rest. Verse 14 says, hold fast our confession. Verses five, chapter five, verses 11 and 12 says, you're dull of hearing and you ought to be teachers by now. He exhorts them to move on from that place of underdeveloped spirituality. They are in an arrested state of growth. They should, be, they should be further down the road than they are, but they are not in that place. In chapter six, verses 11 and 12, again, he says that they should show diligence and that they should not be sluggish. And then in chapter seven, verse 25, we read that he can save to the uttermost or he can save completely any who come to him. And so, so many exhortations, so many promises, and there should be a response in our heart to the Lord. So why go to this Joel chapter two? Well, over the last few weeks, we've heard of meetings in Asbury University in Wilmer, uh, Kentucky, and how they're in, in other places too, where people are coming and there's, they're sensing an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Thousands, tens of thousands of people have come into this little tiny town just on the thought that God might be moving. Is God moving there? It certainly seems like it. Is this a revival? We'll find out. But for those that are coming and encountering God and repenting of sin and being healed and drawing closer to him, guess what that is? That's a revival. Is it something that's gonna sweep across our nation? Well, we can pray that it does but it's still significant what's going on. Not only are tens of thousands of people going there, there have been millions, tens of millions of people watching through social media to see what's going on. I don't know what all of that means, but I know that it in part at least means this. There's a hunger within the body of Christ to see God work and move again. Amen? And so we, we stand and we watch and we pray and we're like, oh Lord, do that and do it in my heart and do it in my family and do it in my church and do it in my town. It began with a simple call to repentance by a student with about 100 in attendance and God decided, I'll take this moment for myself, thank you very much. And he just began to work and move and the meeting is, meetings are still going on, at least the last I heard, they are still happening. People are praying, people are praising, people are repenting of sin, people are fellowshipping. Another event that has happened is the releasing of the movie, um, uh, The Jesus Revolution. Now, it's just a movie, but I just can't get past the timing of that which is kind of controlled and on a calendar and that which is not controlled and on the calendar. And that the Lord is having both of these things happen at the same time. And it's not just a, a pastor who's interested. The news 
of all people. They're interested and they're inquiring. People that wouldn't otherwise say the name of Jesus being forced to say Jesus revolution over and over again. I kind of like it. (laughs) But you know, it's not just that. In our own hearts, in our own lives, around the church, on the staff, among the elders, there's a sense that the Lord is doing something. Now obviously we have, we've seen a lot of growth and we rejoice in that. And we're glad to see people coming out to, to hear the word and to worship and pray and praise, to get their lives right with the Lord. And the Lord is doing all of those things and we are grateful for it. But we also sense that there is something else. Let me read to you something that a sister in our fellowship gave to me last Sunday night. It says, we have shifted into a new season. The Lord is doing something completely new in our midst. The wind of the Spirit is blowing in fresh ways and in new places. It won't follow past patterns. Green shoots of change, renewal, and revival are sprouting up. They are appearing all around you. Watch and see. It is going to increase, intensify, and accelerate. God is redefining what is normal. Do not be satisfied with the same old. Let me read that again. Don't be satisfied with the same old. He is making you hungry for more. New wine won't fit into old expectation. It's simple, yet difficult to define. It's effortless, yet it takes careful stewarding. And she goes on. And I think that's really my response to this. I mean, we're told to not despise prophecies, not quench the spirit. And my heart and desire is to carefully steward what it seems like the Lord is doing. I don't know exactly what the Lord's going to do, but I know I'm gonna preach a sermon that calls us to respond to Jesus this morning. And you're gonna have an opportunity to come forward and you're gonna have an opportunity to respond. I can at least steward that. I can at least do that. We all can at least respond to the Lord as he moves and he works in our own heart. I can't control what happens, nor can you or all of us, but we can all control our response to the living God. And I hope we will do that today. What is revival? A friend of mine, and I listened to him talk about it this past week, David Guzik gives us these five points. He says, a revival is when there's a remarkable sense of the presence of God by both believer and unbeliever. Number two, an unusual interest in the things of God to the neglect of otherwise normal activities and duties. An evident urgency for getting right with God. Number four, a great work of conviction of sin and cleansing among God's people. And lastly, a high level of experience and participation from the lay people. In other words, it's not the leadership. Everybody is being used of the Lord. You know, these works of God that we've referred to, they're not contrived and they're not manufactured. God seizes upon times and seasons in in history and he shows up. I believe he shows up in ordinary ways. And that's the way most of the church lives, in ordinary, wonderful working of God. But there are those extraordinary ways that God shows up as well. Most of church life is lived in ordinary ways, but sometimes God shows up in extraordinary ways. 
I think what's happening in Kentucky, it's an extraordinary thing. Certainly what happened in the Jesus Revolution or the First and Second Great Awakening or the Welsh Revivals, those were extraordinary times. Acts chapter two, that's an extraordinary revival. Now, there's ordinary days that are all mixed in there, but there are times when God does that. But what we need to be careful is that we don't try to manufacture or contrive the extraordinary. Because if we do that, then it's just fleshly. And it's just disappointing. And it doesn't satisfy those deep needs. In the Old Testament, the Lord had a special anointing oil that was used in temple worship. It was not for everyday use. It was not for use at your home. And you weren't allowed to go and make it at your own house just to see what it would smell like. The consequences for making the anointing oil on your own, fabricating it on your own, was the death penalty. That seems kind of harsh for just getting a little interested and some anointing oil. But why would there be such a harsh penalty for doing that? And that is because it was representative of the presence of God. Don't try to duplicate me, don't try to manufacture me. I do what I want to do when I want to do it. I am God, you are not. And so this symbol speaks of never duplicate. God alone is the author of outpourings, revivals, awakenings, and renewals. But we can respond to the Lord in our own heart, in our own lives, and we should. For us at CCL, certainly not as often and as passionately as we should have, but for almost three decades since we first began, we've been praying for the Lord to pour out his spirit. Now, listen. I'm not gonna sit here and pretend like God hasn't done something wonderful in our midst. He has. I mean, this church began with three families meeting in a room praying, Lord, would you like to do a work here in Lynchburg, Virginia with a Calvary Chapel? And he said, yes, I do, and he has blessed it abundantly. So I am in no way minimizing the good things the Lord has done. But it's that extraordinary thing where we respond to the Lord that we've been praying for, but we won't manufacture it. We won't try to duplicate it, God forbid. But I tell you what else I'm not going to do. I'm not gonna sit on the sidelines with my arms folded saying, well, we'll just see what God wants to do. If he's interested, then that's fine. If not, then that's fine too. I don't wanna be apathetic. I don't wanna be found being complacent to the work and the moving of the Spirit of God. I mean, for my whole life, I have wished I could have been alive at a time when there was an outpouring of the Spirit of God. And if it's happening in our area, if it's happening in our our time, or even there's a rumbling of it, I'm not gonna sit by and say, well, whatever God wants to do, he can do. Of course, I know that. But I also wanna see him do that. And so I can, at the very least, lean into and ask the Lord, Lord, do you have something more you want to do in my heart and in my life and among my brothers and sisters? When Elijah was sending, ending his ministry, excuse me, not sending, ending his ministry, and traveling throughout Israel to the Jordan River, right by Jericho, his young protege, Elisha, was journeying with him. Testing him, the older prophet repeatedly, I think four times, said, why don't you stay here and um, I'm gonna journey on? To which the younger prophet said, absolutely not. 
Are you out of your mind? As you live and I live, I will not depart from you until finally the last time. And that test, the, the older prophet says, stay here. And he says, absolutely not. And he says, what is it that you want? And he says, I want a double portion of your, the spirit that's upon you to be upon me. That was not pride. That was him recognizing that he was half the man that the prophet the Elijah, Elijah was. And that if he was going to step in and do what the prophet Elijah had done so faithfully, it was going to take twice as much of the working of God in his life. It wasn't trying to outrun him and outpace him. It was a simple recognition. I'm not up for the task. And that might be where a lot of us respond this morning, is right there. I'm not up for the task. The days we live in, the challenges we live in, the things that are leading people astray. I'm not up for it. Lord, I need an outpouring of your spirit. And so the Lord did that. And Elisha did receive a, the, the outpouring of the spirit upon his life. And as the Lord would have it, he did twice as many miracles recorded in the Bible as Elijah. Just an interesting fact. I don't know what you do with it. It's just interesting. The Lord loved that heart. But what if he would have responded with arms folded? What if he would have responded when the prophet of God is saying, nah, you just stay here. What if, well, you're the prophet. I mean, if that's what you want, then fine. It was a test. And I think all of us have those moments in our life where we are tested. And the Lord is like, do you want me? Do you really want me to work and move in your heart and move in your life and move in your family and move in your church and move in your community? Do you really want that? Or are you happy to stand with folded arms and saying, well, whatever God wants to do is fine with me. I don't care. Of course he can do whatever he wants. And sure, it should be fine. But he has also said, you will find me when you seek after me with what? Passion. Commitment. Not apathy, not complacency. And that is one of the main exhortations that's on my mind this morning is to call us out of complacency and apathy. Maybe it is to come out of a place of sin that's controlling and dominating your life. Or maybe it's to call you out of bitterness and unforgiveness. Maybe it's to call you to Jesus Christ for the first time. But I want to speak to those first that are oldest and have walked with Jesus the longest. Don't become complacent and don't become apathetic in the latter years. After Elijah got to the Jordan River, he took his prayer uh, shawl, his mantle, and he struck the Jordan River. It dried up and he walked across. When he got to the other side, Elisha with him, it dried up. The, water be, the, the, the dry ground you know, began to flow again. The river was moving. Once Elijah was taken to the Lord and the mantle fell to Elisha. He came back to that same river Jordan that was flowing. And what did he do? He struck the river with the mantle. How did he know to do that? Because the old guy modeled it for him. The old guy was like, I know how the spirit of the Lord works. I know what he needs to do in my life. And so I would ask that as we respond to the Lord this morning, that you don't put it on the shoulders of the young people to respond first. Now, I'm not trying to slow anybody that's young down, but I am trying to say, may we walk and model that for them. 
So we serve a great king. He is deserving of our passion, our zeal, our wholehearted pursuit. It is fitting of a great king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, that we would walk passionately and zealously after him. We're not broken over our sin, but we're rather disappointed for not doing a better job as a Christian. And that's something that needs to change. Sometimes it's like, we're not offended that I've, that I've hurt the heart of the Lord. I'm offended that I'm not, that I should be doing better by now. And it, it just sounds like a subtle difference, but there's a world of difference between being disappointed in your Christian performance and disappointing the king and your savior. We're not zealous to serve, but we become full of excuses to indulge our own priorities. We're not forgiving, but we're harsh and critical of people around us. We're not trusting and yielding to the word of God or the leading of his spirit because we've got our own plans. We fret because we don't believe. We don't have faith. We worry and have no peace because we're not desperate for the Lord. Let us consider here in Joel 2 how they responded when the Lord called them to repent. In Joel 2, and the background is, they had a swarm of locusts came in and ate up the crops, and then they had an impending army, the Assyrian army, that was gonna come down and was gonna just devastate the land. It was a one-two punch, and that's what's happening that's what's going on. They have experienced the locusts. They will experience the Assyrians' army. But moving forward from chapter 2 and into the history of Israel, that army is going to surround Jerusalem one night, and the children of Israel are going to call upon the Lord, and the Lord is going to show up, and in one night, he's going to strike down 185,000 Assyrians. They will not lift a finger they will not do anything but call upon the Lord and Assyria will turn. So the point being, they are going to relent. They are going to call upon the Lord. But let's read a couple of verses here in Joel. In Joel 2, verse 12, says, Now therefore, says the Lord, turn with me with all your heart, or to me with all your heart, with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. There's so much to read in here, but let me just skip down to verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Sound familiar? It's what happened on the day of Pentecost. But let's look at this for just, just a moment. They're at a time when they are seeing their land devoured. The fruitfulness, the, the, the greenness, the lushness, it's, it's no longer gone because they've had these massive swarms of locusts that have eaten all things up. 
a picture spiritually of what was going on with them. But really, isn't that a pretty good picture of what seems to be happening in the days in which we live? As you look around, I I don't think there are many Christians that say, man, Satan is being beat back like never before, and we are seeing more people come to Jesus, more people coming off drugs, more people being filled with the Spirit, more people surrendering to the Lord and using their gifts and their resources to the Lord than ever before. Satan's on the ropes. I don't think we hear much of that, do we? I think we look and we say, wow, more people are turning to meth than they are to Jesus. More people are thinking of taking their life than finding life in Christ. And it's desperate days and it's desperate times. So you may look and say, I'm not really caught up in any sin today. This message is for somebody else. Well, let me ask you this. Is your heart broken for the state of our nation? Is your heart broken that there are people that... The young people, not not do you understand and are you disgusted, but are you broken when you think about the fact that young people are going to drugs in record numbers? Does Does it just devastate you that a beautiful young man or a beautiful young woman doesn't even know who they are anymore and they think that they need to become the opposite sex? Or does it, do you just, are you just simply disgusted with it rather than broken with it? Then I think we all need to hear what? The prophet Joel has to say. We are the watchmen. Our job is to let Christ plead through us to a lost and dying world. When Jesus looked out upon the people of Israel, he saw them as sheep that did not have a shepherd. And he doubled over in pain in his stomach. He felt it in his gut. And this is where we must be as well. Broken Maybe not even over our own. Maybe your life is together, but you're broken over other things. So in verses 12 and 13, he calls them to repent. He says, turn to me, but do it with your whole heart. Don't just sit in acknowledgement that something's got to change. Completely change it. Turn to me and allow me to have a place in your life. The, The first place and the last place. And he says, do it with fasting and weeping and mourning. Be broken over your state. Be broken over the state of those that we live among. He says, rend your heart and not your garments. The Lord had seen enough of religion. He wanted to see people that were broken to their core, turning from their sin, calling out to him. Not in outward form only, but in their heart. He calls for the outward form, fasting and weeping and mourning. But he says, I don't want to just see your garments ripped. I want your hearts to be ripped. I want you to feel that brokenness. And then in verse 13, that second half of verse 13 and 14, he says, return to your God who is kind. Return to the Lord your God. You can return to the Lord, by the way. Maybe you've walked away from the Lord. And you are so far away, and you're like, I don't think he'll bring me back. Yes, he's saying to you right now, return to me. Come back to me. Yes, deal with your sin, but come back to me. Well, I don't know the way I'm living, the things I'm thinking, the things I've done. But, but what do we read here? When we hear this exhortation to return, it says, for he is what? Gracious and merciful. 
He is slow to anger and great in kindness, and he relents from doing harm. We repent that he might relent. Can, can we control what God is going to do in a nation or in a group of people? No. But can I control the repentance of my own life? That I can control. I hear the word of the Lord, and I can come, and I can repent, and I can stand, and I know that God will relent in my own life. God is kind towards the broken. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is slow to anger. And this is what he wants to show you is kindness. He is not throwing you away. He is welcoming you to come to him, to come back to him. And then in verse 15, he says, blow a trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly. And I guess that's what's on my heart this morning, is let's have a sacred assembly. I'm blowing the trumpet. I'm calling us to hear the word of the Lord, not to manufacture something, but to respond to the Lord in our own life. May there be a rending. May there be a returning. May there be a repenting. May we, maybe it's just as simple as, Lord, I don't know what you want to do, but I will ask for more. I will ask you to break my heart for the things that break your heart. Lord, I will deal with that bitterness. I will deal with that sin in my life. I will deal with that apathy that has come and has settled upon me. Don't have a passion like Elisha. I probably would have stayed the first time he said, stay here. Okay, I'll stay here then. I don't know that there is that fire in me right now. Well, we need to have that. We must be concerned with the ordinary and let God take care of the extraordinary. The ordinary is that I turn, we turn, we repent, we look for the Lord to pour out his spirit, and then he does what he wants to do. That is all we can do. I know there are some that say if you do these one, two, three things and revival is going to come. I disagree. I don't believe it works that way. I have sat in the room many times with those that were part of the Jesus revolution, those guys that got saved and came off drugs and became pastors. And as they sit in the room and they look back on those days, they say, wow, we need to see the Lord do this again. And none of them say, well, you remember what we did was we did this and then we did that and then this happened and that happened. Let's do those things. You know what they all say? We need that. Let's pray. The people that have lived it look at it and say, it's got to be God who does it. So he can do the extraordinary. We just got to be concerned with the ordinary. And what happens there in verses 28 and 29, when we respond to the Lord, he pours out his spirit on all flesh. And isn't that exactly what is needed today? A church empowered by the Holy Spirit. Us full of the, the power of of the Lord to take a message that is good news and saves. And so we're gonna, we're gonna go back into worship right now. And I'm gonna just ask that you come and you, you respond to the Lord. I don't know how it is you respond to the Lord. Maybe you don't know exactly, but you're just like, I know I need to respond. Then I would ask you, we're gonna have, we have 20 minutes here to just close by seeking the Lord in song and in prayer 
There'll be some people up here in front to pray. If you're in, I don't know if we have people in the overflow or not, but there'll be pastors in the overflow um, right there to pray with you. And um, you don't have to pray with somebody though. You can just seek the Lord on your own. What would you change if you knew that God was about to do the extraordinary tomorrow? If you knew God's about to do this, what are those things in your mind spiritually that you're like, well, I would want to take care of this? Then do that today, whether or not he does the extraordinary or not, because the ordinary is still right and biblical and necessary for our walk with the Lord. In Hebrews, they had become dull of hearing. They were underdeveloped spiritually. They were drifting away. And maybe that's where a lot of you are. You're drifting. You can feel it. You can sense the pull underneath your feet like in the ocean. You just can tell you're going out. Come, rend your hearts. Turn fully to the Lord. Let him work and move. Father, we are grateful that you save, you redeem, you relent, you restore, you pour out again and again and again. And so, Lord, we want to seek your face. We want to call upon you for our own needs, for our family, for this church, for this community, for this world that we live in. So, Lord, we come to you. 